you all pray with me? Father God, gracious Son, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, we praise you and we thank you that you are here with us, that you are beside us, that you are moving in us and among us. Lord, we pray that this evening that you would inspire us, inform us, and, 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 and give us what we do not have of your presence so that we can indeed be a little more like Jesus and a lot less like ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, those of you that have two things, you'll have to like spread them out or share if you can. If it, Okay, so actually it's on there if you just hit print, it'll print another one or two or whatever we need. Okay, we are going to be reading from the fifth chapter of Acts. We're going through Acts and... Uh, the more I read through just one set of notes for, the, for the, the first one that we did last week, the more of these subject matters came up and the more it seemed like this was going to be a, a good thing to, to kind of go off of. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 5 and I'm going to tell you first, I'm going to ask you a, a, a trick question or a, a little pop quiz after we read it, what this has to do with our subject tonight. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and his wife's, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, here's your pop quiz. We are talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit tonight. What does that inform us having to do with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Say it again. Spirit of truth. Okay. Say it again. Okay, you're you're on it. What else? There was there was a little bit more. They lied to the Holy Spirit and. 
Okay. Huh? You can't. Oh, okay. Said said that they they lied to the Holy Spirit, cheated the church. And there's one more part having it. It's basically in the same line as lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to to God. There is the there is the notion of this. Um, last week, I brought in the idea of one of my uh, kind of founding theologians, and that was, am I too loud now? No. Oh. Oh, okay. It's not on. Okay. We'll, we'll push it if you go. Okay. Um, here, I'm just going to put it out in the middle, and you can, you'll have to turn it on first, but Okay. We talked about John Wesley last week, for those that were here. There is a lot more people. I just want to tell you, praise God for that. The last few weeks, Satan has been causing all sorts of things and keeping people away, and I'm sure it felt a little discouraging. We are so blessed to have all of you back, and even the ones that were here before, we were really blessed to have you here, because otherwise it would have been a very echoing room without at least a few extra people. But, um, and we heard an, an awesome awesome testimony from uh, from Kathy on Sunday that uh, you, you remember several weeks ago when, when Kathy ended up in the, the hospital you know she uh, took a tumble down the stairs for no real good reason and uh, they, they did some tests and I had sent her a comment that she had reminded me of and she said Satan's really going to regret tripping you and throwing you down the stairs and she, she was very empathetic to that or, or enthusiastic for it. And uh, for those of you that didn't hear it on Sunday or didn't get to hear that, um, she's told the testimony several times of having uh, pneumonia as a child and just about ending her life and her God given his, his life and his, his ministry over to, to following God and to, to teaching his word and all of that. And uh, she's dealt with this for years and years and years. And uh, they did a, a test or a, a scan at that same time when they were supposed to be, you know, looking at her legs because that's what was broken. But they're like, it's your, it's your prerogative. Do whatever test you need to. And they found out that her, her lungs that had previously been scarred with all sorts of tissue are completely clear. Is that not some excellent, some awesome hearing, healing? Okay, so... We get back to, we're talking about John Wesley and the, on the, the same subject, and we'll go into it here. There are, there are three parts uh, talking about grace, and it fits very well into, well, it, it is exactly in here, as Wesley was talking about the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit himself. He regarded that, that we understand God's Spirit as, as a means of grace, as, as grace. There are three types of grace, and we're going to go through that real quick. One of them is a what's called prevenient or a preventing grace. Uh, the second is a justifying grace uh, with regeneration. And the third is a purifying or a sanctifying grace. And all of this are, is basically, the Holy Spirit is basically synonymous in this grace. This is, the, this is the participation, the activity of the third person, and we're going to hit that in just a second, of the Holy Spirit. The preventing or the prevenient grace is God's Spirit that resides in us. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't 
you know, send us out. It doesn't make us do things. It doesn't whatever. But it's that part that when we say that all of us are, are born in, uh, that we're created in God's image, that's that part of God that continually calls to motions around, keeps, keeps present. It's where someone that is a non-believer will call out in the midst of trial and tribulation or frustration or every, everything else, Lord, help me. A person that has no belief otherwise has an innate part of the Holy Spirit in them that, that drives them towards this in a sense. The second part is the justifying, and we, we link it together with a regeneration grace as well. That is when one comes to know Jesus Christ, accept him as Lord and Savior, and more specifically, confessing and repenting of sin, thereby giving him a new place. God's spirit is alive within that, and the regeneration is the process of creating a new being, what, uh, what 2 Corinthians talks about, that, he, that those who are in Christ are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. But... Um, as Robert Morris, I was listening to his sermons this week on, for, for advice from uh, our lovely pastor. Um, he was talking about that, that the, the journey, that wasn't sarcastic at all. I was really blessed by hearing three hours of Robert Morris talking about this too. But uh, he talked about it as a process, a journey. You know, you didn't become a sinner all of a sudden like that, and you don't become a saint just like that either. It can be, but more than likely, it is the process of repenting is we are going this way towards, towards sin, and we turn around and we start walking back towards God. It is not all of a sudden we turn around and plop, there, there's God and there's nowhere else to go. We just have to turn around. There is a process, and a lot of people don't understand that that is that, that justifying grace. It is not a one-time and just like salvation and the, the, when we talked about the, the armor of the of God, the, the salvation is constantly walking in that salvific property towards God. And the third then is that sanctifying grace or that sanctifying spirit where, where in fact, and I will tell you, John Wesley understood very clearly that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a one after the next. Just as Jesus stepped into the water and was baptized in water, and came up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that is what is supposed to happen. And let me just tell you, at the ripe age of 48, I am a little hacked off that I've been robbed of about 44 years of life not understanding that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about a force that somehow it just hovers above us, but in fact is one that we are to have a relationship with and that we are to ask for that baptism. We are seeking it just as we, just as we sought the, the water baptism because we recognize our sin. We seek that out as well. And I don't know, I, I, I kind of felt a little John Wesley-ish because after John Wesley last week, we talked about him going to the Epworth Church and, uh, and feeling his heart strangely warmed. And later he thought, well, I'm not sure that I received Christ at that point that I had received him before, but that, that, that he kind of doubted that. But somehow the question came to mind as I was listening to Robert Morris and, and really bringing this out. And we're going to do that tonight for those of you that, that haven't. Um, talked about, you know, if you're in doubt, if you have questions, whatever else, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is sought. It doesn't happen against your will. It doesn't happen just out of the blue that all of a sudden you're walking along and bam, a flood of Holy Spirit comes upon you. But you seek it out and just as you repent of your sins in order to be justified, you, you ask for it and seek it as well out of the Holy Spirit to be baptized in the, in the Holy Spirit and immersed within it just as you would be with water. So we're going to talk about the the, the parts, and I will read a lot of this, so we're going to try to do this quickly. I gave you sheets. I am not going to read those scriptures. I'm going to refer to them. You can read them on your own. They're there. I want you to understand that what we're going to talk about is deep, deep, deep in scripture. Okay? There's even a part that, it, that the, the work of the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament, but we're not going into that. We're just going to say it's there, but there's a few references. The first is that it is essential that Jesus' followers recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit in God's purpose to spiritually redeem people. That is to rescue them from their sins, renew them spiritually, and restore them to a personal relationship with himself. Many Christians have not even considered how different things would have been had there not been the presence of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. So we're going to do the uh, It's a Wonderful Life version for a second. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no creation and no universe or no human race. And we see that in Genesis 1-2 um, where the Spirit hovered over the earth. And in Job 33-4, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no Bible. And if you look at first, uh, Second Peter one uh, twenty one, it refers to that. No New Testament. And that's in John 14, 26, uh, 15 through, uh, 26 through 27, and 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14. And there would be no power to effectively communicate the message about Christ, and that's in Acts 1, 8. That would have been gone. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no way to have faith in God, no way to experience spiritual salvation or, no re- or renewal, and no way for Jesus' followers to live in holiness. In other words, moral purity, spiritual wholeness, separation from evil, dedication to God. In fact, there would be no Christians at all in the world. This article is going to explore some of the basic teachings about the Holy Spirit and its purpose. And let me just tell you, I read four different sermons, four different articles about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and each one of them had new things to add in. But the first one that comes out is that the Holy Spirit is... A person. When we talk about the three persons of the Trinity, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes, is, uh, as uh, Morris basically refers to, uh, somehow the Holy Spirit sounds somehow that it's like this anonymous thing and if you are ambiguous, when in fact the Holy Spirit is very much, just as much God as Jesus is God, as the Father is God. All in being, all the same. And when we talk about all of the rest of these, we're going to talk about these as being parts of or facets of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, But the personal Holy Spirit, many non-believers and even some believers view the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force or concept that represents God or his presence. That's what I grew up with. 
I didn't grow up with the idea that the Holy Spirit was a person, the Holy Spirit was sought after. The Holy Spirit just somehow came and, you know, like Tinkerbell, you know, waved a wand and put his blessings all over you and that was it. It was somehow that you had to invite him in and it was this, this spirit that filled the room. It was a very ambiguous sense and thus, as such, you could live without him. You, you invited him in so that you could say that you, you, know, you had a sermon that was, that was inspired or you could have whatever else you wanted to or you could say the Holy Spirit led you. But I didn't hear that a lot, let me just tell you. And I will also say without naming, and you probably all know what this was anyway, there was a lot of spiritual hunger in the people in the pews. Myself being one of them. My own calling out of ministry came because I heard after years and years, and I will say probably 16 years, of sermons from very educated, very respected pastors that all of their sermons came down to about the same thing. Be good, come back next week. That was it. And I was like, there's got to be more to preach in the word than be good and come back next week. Throughout God's word, the spirit is revealed as a distinct individual. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, Hebrews 9, 14, 1 Peter. First, he is a divine person. He is fully God. Like the Father and the Son, uh, or the th- and with personal characteristics. Sorry, there's a lot of these in, in the middle that are trying to read. With personal characteristics, all his own. So he is not just another Jesus. He's not just another father. He has his own personal characteristics being the Holy Spirit. He thinks, as evidenced in Romans 8, 27, um, feels, uh, Romans 15, 30, he wills. In other words, he has desires, determines, and purposes specific things, uh, as in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And has the capacity to love and to enjoy personal companionship. I want you to think of that because the Holy Spirit is meant to come alongside of us, to fill within us God's own spirit, to bring back what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. This is an intimacy that we can have with God in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, just like you, you don't get to know your, your friends or your family or your spouse or anything else by just hanging around in a general sense and saying that they're there, you know them intimacy, intimately because you get to know them intimately and you allow them to know you intimately. And that's the more important part, is the more that that is a relationship in that person, the deeper we go into God's Spirit and to an intimate knowledge and experience with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the, through the Holy Spirit. Okay. John 15, 26 says that the Spirit goes out from God, the Father, and testifies about Christ, which means that he moves about and communicates. He was sent by the Father to bring believers into close personal relationship with Jesus. And you can look at John 14, 16 through 18, and verse 26. By the way, this particular scripture, there's a couple of these that, that 
lap over and over, and I'll still reference them, but you'll see that there's about three or four of these that constantly come back up to reinforce the same kind of different principles in the same scriptures. Okay. God created us with a desire to experience that kind of relationship with us. Say that with me. God created us with a desire to experience that kind of relationship with him. Okay, maybe that was a little long. Did you hear it that time? And he sent Jesus to provide the opportunity. Jesus, in turn, gives us the Holy Spirit to fulfill that desire to enable us to experience a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, Robert Morris basically alluded it to that the Holy Spirit brings us to Christ, introduces us to Christ. Christ introduces us to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit introduces us to God. It is a cyclical part. It is just as Trinitarian. It, you'll, you'll see a lot of times there are, there are three, three parts, three, three persons. Three is a very holy number within, within Scripture, and that's exactly where it is, is it goes cyclical for it as we come about. Okay. Uh, okay. Because he is God, say that, because he is God, and we brought this up a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. You remember what those three words meant? What is omnipotent? Omnipotent is all-powerful. Omnipresent is he's everywhere. And omniscient. He's all-knowing. Just like God. That's why you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Can't lie to the Holy Spirit. You can't lie to God. You're going to know. Everyone else may be able to be fooled. But even those who have the Holy Spirit in them won't be fooled either. Because God's Spirit testifies against you in doing so. He is also... Now, all of those sounded really official and, and big big God kind of things. He is also loving, forgiving, merciful, and persistent. Just because you get in a tiff, just because you go, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't going to still pursue you. When people sense things about God in their hearts or their consciences, it is often the work of the Spirit prompting them towards God or leading them into a closer relationship with God. In light of these truths, we should treat him as a person and understand that he is, hear this, the infinite living God worthy of our worship, love, and surrender. I pondered this week the idea of surrender. Surrender, most of us take it as we come and we lay all of our things at the feet of Jesus and we stand there and go, okay, there you go. I thought surrender seemed more as a, as a mental image. Have you ever had small children walk up to you because they're tired, they're upset, they're frustrated, they don't want to walk no more? <laughs> They're, they're grumpy, whatever else. And finally, after they've fought their nap and fought you and fought everyone else, finally at some point in time, what do they come up and do? 
they surrender. They surrender into the arms of the one that they trust, the one that has all of their best interest at heart in its very essence, even though they have fought it for the last 12 hours at Disney World. I personally have not had that child at Disney World. Well, okay, I did. It was, it was at Animal World or whatever. Animal Kingdom? That's it. Animal Kingdom. Very cranky. Okay. We're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Four, four facets. And we're, I'm just going to stop referring to them, but you can see different ones in there. Okay. We talked about the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament. We're going to go to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Four facets. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the angel agent or motivating, motivating power behind spiritual salvation. The Holy Spirit motivates us to salvation. It is that, is that, prevent, it's that, that preventing or that, that prevenient spirit alive that is pushing us towards acknowledgement that we are sinners and we need a Savior. It means that he exposes our offenses against God and makes us conscious of our need for forgiveness. He also reveals to our conscience the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Spirit testifying, that's the Spirit testifying. Things that we don't know by natural sources, we come to know, I am a sinner, Jesus is the one that I need to come to, Jesus is perfect. That's where, where we ideally... With the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe all of those people that keep saying that there is no God and whatever else and the church stinks and whatever else that that comes up is going to be met by those who truly have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit driving them because they will not only, as we talked about last week, they will be able to be persuasive with the knowledge and the love of God for people that the others are not able to do. So no matter how organized and lovely those, those sermons are from some pastors, if they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they can say all they want to be eloquent for, for the next uh, hour and a half, and it will make no difference to anyone sitting in the pews because it does not connect with them intimately because the Holy Spirit is not in it. Well, and we're, we're going to get into that more next week. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is basically, and, and Wesley emphasized this, um, if, if, you'll, if you'll not think of heresy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to come with baptism. Baptism of water is renunciation of sin or, or casting off sin. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the infilling or just as, the, as we were immersed in water, we are immersed in God's spirit completely so that we, first of all, become children of God. And secondly, we become less and less and less and less children of Satan. And that sounds a little, little hard. But you think every time that we, as God's children, act contrary to God's character, God's will, God's word... Whose children could we possibly be except not God's at the end of those moments? It's kind of, we, we talk about, 
I, I've talked about good goats. It's sort of like we all do these, these things back and forth. But the intent, as Wesley says, is that we are to not sin. And that is where that baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in, is that we allow God's Holy Spirit to dwell in us and around us so heavily that we work towards that process of completely rejecting and abolishing sin from our lives. We become so immersed in the, in the word, we become immersed in his spirit, we, we become immersed in his presence, in his character, in his being, in, in, in his will, that we become completely unable, incapable of committing sin because we are focused upon being children of God and having that freedom. And, we're, and like I said, that, that's a little really short version, and I'd say come next week so, so you can hear that. We're going to de- delve into that next week, but uh, we're, we're going to start with the, with the intellectual so that you can like mentally get your brain around this, and then we're going to go into to kind of driving towards that. Does that work? We're going to put a foundation, and then we're going to start driving. Okay. Does that answer the question at least a little bit? No. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to hit in just this little bit. Right. Right. It, 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 it is, but too many of us stop short. We, we consider it as, it, it's sort of the, uh, someone coined, it was the difference between you, you receive salvation from Jesus in order to escape hell instead of receiving salvation so that you can have an entire life ahead of you filled with power and purpose and being God's witness. It's, it's that purpose. Okay, does that make a little more sense? Okay, at least to hold it off for seven days? Okay. Um, okay. We're going to talk about the work. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's the agent or motivating power behind spiritual salvation. The Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctification. The Holy Spirit is what sanctifies us, makes us pure, makes us holy. And, and we, we come back and forth. There's a lot of theological thought behind this and, and argues with this. And some would say you cannot be perfect like God is perfect. Now I want to ask you a, a question. Do you believe in a God that sets a carrot out in front of you that you can't possess but tells you you're expected to do it all the rest of your life that, that you can't possibly reach? Makes no sense, right? Okay. I also want to clarify, we take this idea of perfection as we do everything right. And that's not the definition for that perfection. The perfection of, of God, the perfection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the perfection in thought in mind, indeed, that we are acting out as children of God instead, in the stead, not instead of, but in the stead of God. And so we are able to do what Jesus says, love our neighbors, love our enemies, uh, you know, uh, love God with all our heart, mind, soul, love our neighbors, all of that. We are able to do that. And it was, it was a part of my ordination. They said, do you believe you are going on to perfection? And of course you said, I do. Do you believe you will reach it in this lifetime? Yes. The perfection was perfected in love. And Wesley basically brings out, again, that, that three-part thing, that he says the, the marks of the Holy Spirit are faith, 
hope, and love. And you'll see that that's centered in the midst of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where, where Paul is talking about the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon us and all of those that come around. And all of those are marks or parts of God's character in the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about faith, hope, and love, these are not just kind of a, in an ambiguous a feeling or whatever. It is the fact that at the core of God's presence is a faith, it is a hope in, in, all of, in all of God's power and abilities, and it is a divine love that is unconditional. It does not act out of, out of self-preservation or self-benefits. You know, I've wondered for weeks if Bill got other calls besides from his wife, because I always thought it was that, and now we got proof that he actually has more people besides that to call him. So, congratulations. No, sorry. <laughs> I keep thinking of that Dead Poet Society. Huh? Payback's coming? Okay. I was thinking of that, that Dead Poet Society where the phone rings and it's like, it's like it would have been better if you would have said he called collect. You know, it's God. God called collect. Okay. Any rate. But, uh, but those are the marks. And so the Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctification. He is the one that perfects us. And that's where that, that baptism, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit continually testifies against Satan and everything that's there. It's that, that part where you're walking along and you, and you think, I really shouldn't say this. That's the Holy Spirit testifying. You're saying, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's the other side. And then, of course, you go, I'm really sorry, God. Please forgive me. Okay. Um, Sanctification is the, is the process, to define this, of being set apart for, for God's possession and purposes and the ongoing process of spiritual growth and development. As much as I would love to say that if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that everything becomes, becomes holy like that, it doesn't. It's, again, that process, and as soon as you turn away from sin and start walking, the Holy Spirit will continue to work as an agent of that sanctification, making you holier and holier, unless, of course, you're an idiot and turn back around. And how many idiots in the room do we have? Yeah, I thought so, too. Okay. I know if even if you didn't raise your hand, you're still in that place, too, because we all do that. Okay. Um, at the point that we receive God's forgiveness and entrust our lives to Christ, here's the important, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us to spiritually purify and prepare us for God's specific purpose. See, God has a purpose. This is not just so that we can be happy, so that we can be fruitful, so that people will like us, because just contrary some days, people are not necessarily always going to like us, because we're going to be speaking the truth, but we're going to be speaking it in that, that divine love. But the Holy Spirit lives within us to spiritually purify and prepare us for God's specific purpose. That's when we get to the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are God's purpose. Uh, Robert Morris says, they are not yours. Do not say, I have the gift of this or I have the gift of that. No, 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 you don't. The Spirit has that gift and you're using it. Kind of like the tools in my garage. They are not Michael's. They are my tools. Put them back where they belong. They are not yours. Don't stole them in your room. Sorry. Okay. I digress. Yeah, unless you pick them up. Then you can use them again. Okay. We're going we're gonna to keep going. But basically, the, the character, the, the, the agent of, of sanctification 
is that if we are truly following Christ, the Holy Spirit constantly reminds us that we are God's children. He pleads our case for us when we are overwhelmed and do not know what to pray. Robert Morris was also saying that when you, when you go up to pray and you go, I don't know what to pray, the Spirit knows what to pray. And that's a lot of times when we talk about speaking in tongues as a prayer language, if you don't know what to pray, you don't know exactly what's there, open your mouth and let your Spirit speak to God's Spirit And anything you needed to say is going to be coming out because it's your spirit talking to his because it is, again, that intimacy. Okay. Right. Right. And the other is that we can see inside God as well. When we talk about knowing the, the good and perfect will of God, that is that, that twofold. God doesn't just want us to want, want to know us. God wants us to know him as well. So it is, a, it, it, is a, it is a relationship. Just as we have a personal relationship with God, God wants us to have a personal relationship with God the Father and wants us to have a personal relationship with God the Holy Spirit because there are individual parts that the Holy Spirit resides in us for. We are not just meant to be carbon copies of Jesus all the time. Preaching. <laughs> Sorry. Sunday morning as I was listening to Greg preaching, there was this urgency that is the Holy Spirit that was just bubbling up inside of me. So he not only, you know, we know him intimately, and he prompts us. He says, you need to share this. And it was like, I thought, you know, well, you know, We've had altar service, and he goes, go, go, go talk to Greg. Tell him that you have something to share. And so, you know, it's, we know him intimately, and he knows us. And if we're listening, he tells us, he prompts us, he gives us that push Knowing that it was yes, this is this is for now. Right. Because God has placed me in authority of the service, but yet God was using her as a part of that service, and so I have to be willing to listen and understand what God is wanting to do in that service. Right. So it's part of the Holy Spirit moving not only in her, but also whoever's leading the service as well to say, Yes, right. this is God's anointed time for this moment. Right. And if, and if he quelches the Holy Spirit, God's going to be having a, rela- a, a talk with him about that. That's where that accountability is. No one is beyond that. The, the, that's why when the Spirit is testifying, when the Spirit is leading, there is confirmation within that. Just as, the, as for the leader or for others, there is going to be confirmation, and it's going to confirm also, just as a, as a side note, it's also going to confirm a scripture. It's going to be consistent with that. 
Right. And, and Bill brought up last week when I, when I brought up the idea that in Wesley's time, he had a very orderly way in order to make sure that he, that he prayed several times a day. He was studying several times a day. He was doing these. And Bill's question was, do you think we've lost some of that? And absolutely, we've become especially involved in the, in the, the, the worship of the Spirit, which is entirely fine. We have somehow taken out that orderliness, the, the fact that, that just the, the same as the, as the spirit hover over the earth and created order out of chaos, now we are called to also create order out of chaos, and that means the Holy Spirit is not just this force that, that runs willy-nilly and comes here and there and, and does things out, you know, just, just out, of, out of the blue. There is an order to God's will, and the Holy Spirit acts in that order as well to create that. So, Okay. We're just about done. I'm going to hit the, the last two real quick. The Holy Spirit is the agent of empowerment for Christian service. Do you remember last week when we talked about you will receive power? The Holy Spirit is the agent of empowerment. Uh, he enables Christ's followers to serve his purposes and to effectively communicate to others. That's what I was talking about, effectively communicating to others his message of forgiveness and new life. Without the Spirit, you can say all the right words in all the right ways, and if the Spirit's not in it, it is not going to communicate because the empowerment is not there. You are, you are simply acting out the part, and it's the difference between going to a revival and the Spirit moving and going to a movie where, where some preacher is acting out and the Spirit's supposed to be doing these. There is a marked difference between those two events. Amen? Okay. Um. We receive the same anointing. Say that. The same anointing. The same anointing uh, that came on Christ and on his first disciples. There's a lot of things in here. Causing us to be able to communicate God's word and work miracles. Hear that? And work miracles. It is God's purpose that all Christ followers experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I promise we're going to cover that next week. Is to help Christians fulfill their mission, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts, spiritual God-given abilities and ministries to individual believers so that they can build up and strengthen the church. Using these gifts, the Holy Spirit works through individual Christians to reveal Christ's presence, love, truth, standards for the benefits of the entire congregation of Christians. These gifts of the Holy Spirit we'll talk about sometime down the line too, but that is very much, they, are, they belong to the Holy Spirit. They are given for the edification or for the uplifting of the church, and any believer with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit in them, can possess those at any time. You hear that? Any believer can possess that at any time because of the Spirit's moving. 
The fourth one, this is the last one. The Holy Spirit draws into unity all of God's people into one body of Christ. And that is sorely missing these days. I would like to say, well, it's someone else's problem. The fact is, if we are all to be one, one with the body, we have just as much culpability in the problem as any other church does. If we are united in the spirit, we are focused on that being our, our whole purpose. Not our whole purpose, but basically our purpose is that God is going to lead us, drive us towards being united into one body of Christ. It is made up of all true Christians, and I want you to understand that just because that we're not talking about individual churches. There are lots of people within the church that do not have the Spirit of God. This is about true believers, true followers of Christ are going to be able to come together as one. And as a result... They also, with having that Holy Spirit, will also be able to have the ability to communicate to those who do not. So it is always a drawing in and that the Spirit continues to draw in. It's not we all move together, you know, flawed as we are. This has to be our purpose in the individual church to simply bind together that we are to be one body as such and we are to draw in. And in the Holy Spirit, God will move within them with his spirit and draw them in as well. But we have to be accountable to do that as well and not just say, well, I got better things to do. Um, The Holy Spirit lives in the church, the body, builds the church, the body, inspires godly worship in the church, directs the church's mission appoints workers in the church, gives special gifts, which we talked about, and abilities in the church, empowers preachers. There's a lot of very gifted preachers that are not empowered worth a hill of beans. Empowers them. And guards the gospel, and that is the true message of Christ. When you hear all sorts of things where, where you listen to someone's, someone reading the scripture and they start talking about it, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm not sure that's what that says. That's the Holy Spirit guarding the gospel to give us that discernment. That's also why it's important that we center within that to know what God's word is so that we can test and know that through the Holy Spirit as well. There are no passive, passive people in the pews. And last is that he promotes and preserves the church's right relationship with God. The full part of this is that all of these, and, and this, is, this is a thing. These are not separate things that basically are, are all different things to opt. They are interwoven. They are interlinked. They cannot be separated in the church's life. The Holy Spirit being the, the motivating power behind the spiritual salvation links into being an agent of sanctification. It links into it being an empowerment uh, agent and links into drawing the unity of all God's people into one body. All of them are interlinked, and that is the substance, the foundation that the Spirit comes to. And when we, when we, devoid, when we take the Spirit out of that knowledge, we... I, I, I had too many words, and the word I'm coming up with is not right. We, we distort. That's the word. There we go. We distort 
what the Spirit is about. And when we distort what the Spirit is about to others that, that would receive it, we distort the ability for the Spirit to be adequately known and requested. Now, we're going to get into our prayer time, but the first thing I want to offer is the one thing, if we in this place have been saved and you have not expressly asked for the Holy Spirit to immerse you in his presence, in his substance, in his character, in his being, in his power. I want that to be our first thing tonight. And it's pretty simple. I want you to bow your heads. If you believe this, say it with me. Even if you've received it before, and that was, that was where I wasn't sure, did I receive it, did I not? Because yesterday, listening to a sermon over that, that was recorded several years ago, asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a remarkable change in what God had been doing. So we're going to say I was imperfectly or only uh, sprinkled with the Spirit before. <laughs> we are asking for the, for the baptism, the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? And it's simple. Father God,